Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you about something that you know, I wish everybody, I wish I could have gotten on an automated phone call to get everybody here today. I wish, it's one of those messages that it's just like, I wish I could get all my flock together, get you all here so that I could share this. Of course, you can go to the internet, you can listen to it. But, you know, sometimes I read articles and people's posts on Facebook and Instagram and in various places, the memes, you know. You notice how it, we're in the meme movement, right? Everybody's trying to get their point across with a picture and then boom, they put their message on there. And sometimes they're inspiring and other times you're like, we need to sit down and talk. But be that as it may. But I wonder, do people really know who Jesus is? Do they really know who he is, what he taught, and still call themselves Christians? You know, not to be judgmental, but purely observational. I'm going to try to do that today. And what I mean is many Americans will identify with being a Christian, quote, unquote, you know, when they take the polls and all that, you know, from a cultural standpoint, but be misinformed about what Jesus actually taught. The sayings like, what would Jesus do? And Jesus was all about love. And following the footsteps of Jesus, in my opinion, can really hinder people from really developing a true, spiritual, intimately real relationship with Jesus Christ. And just to be clear, this is exactly what the Father wanted and wants for us today. He told the woman at the well, you know, the Father looks for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay? Spirit and in truth, that wonderful balance between the two. And, but, and then look at Psalm 100, verse 5. And this is coming from the Old Testament. In other words, showing us really what was the heart of God, the heart of the Father, even during the law. It says, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Okay, so God loves us, and he wants to be in relationship with us. He sent his son, Jesus, to be that bridge to help us reconnect to redeem, restore us. Why? To be back in an intimate relationship with him again. It's God's heart. Jesus said, and, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because they're like, okay, we see you, Jesus, and what you're doing. He says, guys, I'm trying to show you that I embody, literally, the heart of the Father. He was and is God. Today, we have the enemy of our soul who cannot take this relationship from us. We know that. But he certainly can confuse us to the point of believing in and following the shadow of a false understanding of what a relationship with Jesus might be. So I want you to buckle up because you're going to find that there's a little bit of this in all of us because we, we easily take the counterfeit, sometimes because of convenience, sometimes because of the way, the, the way our own soul is kind of shaped, sometimes because of the brokenness inside, as I'm going to mention here this morning, but I want to point this out. I want, I want you to, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to direct you as you hear this today. Okay, It's not to discourage, but to encourage. It's, it's to incite a hunger for you. If you've been eating you know, some processed food that has just been, you know, kind of, I, I call it, you know, commie, commie packaging, you know, where it's just like food in a white box, you know, 
<clears throat> I mean, if you've been eating the, the stuff that's not the best for you, and then one day somebody presents a meal, I mean, we've all been there. You go someplace and, there's a, and they really cook, you know, um, fresh vegetables and everything is fresh and, and, and you really taste food the way it ought to be for the first time. You're just like, whoa, I've been eating wrong all this time. And in the same way, when you finally, <laughs> Angie says, amen. Uh, but then when, you know, and so then, but when you go back to eating the other stuff, you're changed forever. forever. And in the same way, when you really taste and see that the Lord is good, when you really get a real deep draught of grace, you can never go back. You can never go back. But sometimes we do. <clears throat> and so I want to talk about that today. You know, historically, the tendencies that I'm going to share with you today uh, can be tracked and documented over and over again. These are nothing new. In other words, what the Scripture tells us is that the enemy's tactics, his strategies, are always the same. They just get repackaged differently. They come in the form of an Internet, you know, and they come in the form in many different forms today. So, but it's still all the same stuff. You know, nothing new under the sun. So I want to share with you some killers of what I see and what I'm calling counterfeits to a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm just going to give three and, and go through these as quickly as possible because I want you to get what the truth is, okay? But number one, so I'm going to kind of present this in a way to kind of tap into your emotions, to tap into something and hopefully gather us all what speaks to you, the images that I want to drop into your mind, your heart. So number one, I want to look, this is what we say on the inside. When I'm unhappy, I think I'm close to God. When I'm unhappy, and you may say, that's ridiculous. No, 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 I've heard this over and over again. I've heard it in this community. I've heard people, as I'm sitting in the background, heard, hearing, overhearing people telling others, well, if you're happy, there must be something wrong. Now, we can laugh about that. And if you're one laughing, it's probably, you, you know, you're not one who's, necessarily attracted to this particular one but let's keep moving on this is a result of legalism which is a result of a religious joyless pursuit of perfection okay it's a religious and what we mean by religion in, in religion there is a real religion but false religion is trying to earn the favor of god right by doing things and often these things are holy and symbolic and, you know, sacrimonious in their approach. This happens because in our heart, we're attracted to this as human beings because often one, ha one of us, or we've had a lack of real love and nurture in our lives. Okay, so we don't really recognize what love is. And so we're kind of awkwardly looking for the ability to connect relationally, but because we don't really understand what relationship is, we revert to form. We revert to religion. Now, let me just tell you, Satan loves religion. He loves it. Why? Because it keeps people from relationship. It keeps people from relationship, which is when we talk about, and, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not using these words like curses or curse words, but when you talk about liturgy, when you talk about going through the motions, when you talk about doing things in a certain pattern every single time, what happens is it becomes lifeless. There may have been life in that pattern at one time, 
But after a time, it, the Holy Spirit is just like, I'm not doing that anymore. I've moved on from that. That was only a, a, a moment in time to help you get to me. But then when we build altars to it, when we build towers, when we build, you know, you know and, and create things to honor the method and forget the man, you see? It's easier to relate to a God who has a list that can never be achieved than a God who unconditionally loves them, okay? It's easier to just say, look, I, and, and, and different personalities are attracted to that, and to say, look, I, I don't know how to relate to you, but if you just tell me what to do. I'll feel better about myself if I'm just checking off the list of what you want me to do. We're getting a little uncomfortable here, aren't we? That's okay. It's good. If this is upending some things in your soul, you're heading in the right direction. See, and these people are drawn to a lifeless liturgy and religion. The form, as, as, as Paul told Timothy, it's a form of godliness, but it has no real power to bring real change and real joy. Proverbs tell us that that a person could be smiling on the outside, but their heart not have any joy. I mean, we can fake a smile, can't we? I mean, it's just... We can do that. And we walk to church, you know, we're, you know, we can be fighting with our spouse, or a kid just spilled coffee all over the place, or hot chocolate, or, and we can go through that. We can have all that, our souls upended, and then we walk in church, and we, we can do it. We, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing really good. Doing really good. And we're lying because we're not doing really well. Well, we really need to walk, be truthful and walk and say, man, I want to cuss right now, but I know I'm in church. <laughs> so I'll just tell you what's really going on in my heart. Yeah, that's right. It is how it is. Thank you, Alon. The legalist is only happy when they feel that they've accomplished something for God or appeased his always disappointed demeanor. Okay. You see, God is always just disappointed. He's always just like, and of course, that could have been something you received from your parents. It could have been, you know, when you bring home an A, well, and you get like a 98. Like Tate just got a 96 on one of his exams. And I got to tell you, just for a minute, just for a microsecond, it was like, what happened to those four points? I mean, I was a coach. I raised this kid from, a, you know, catching grounders when the ball was bigger than him. And, you know, and, and, you know what I'm saying? There was a lot of expectation on your firstborn. And that's the first thing that came to mind. Did I tell him? No. No way. Man, I told him how proud I was. I said, man, that is awesome. I let him bring up the four points. <laughs> no big deal. The point is, when we see God that way, is always disappointed. We're going to drift into illegalism. We're going to drift into this trying to appease a God who's really just kind of basically disappointed with us. You following me so far? The legalist is very motivated to make sure that everybody else who call them, calls themselves spiritual un, are unhappy like they are. So it's like, look, uh, wait a minute, you got joy going on here? Oh, there must be something wrong. It, it's funny, you know, as Valley continues to have impact in our community, I wasn't really prepared to talk about this, but I'll say it very quickly. The more we grow in our understanding and we have this place where we just, it's like there's freedom, there's joy, we don't mind turning down the lights, we can create a more intimate atmosphere. Well, then somebody's very, a legalist is very quickly to say, they're turning off the lights. What are you doing in the darkness? 
I don't know. Why don't you come find out? Come on over. And we'll love on you. We'll let, and we're going to create an environment so Jesus can love on you. But see, and, and, and I don't want to spend that much time on that, to just say, you know, sometimes that is another indication of a legalist. Is, is, is it's like, look, I don't want to go to a party where everybody's happy. I'm going, I, I've heard that this is the unhappy party, and you've got that one person over there just jumping up and down and is having a good time. Hey, let's just make sure we crush that right now. I'm sorry. This is the unhappy party. You didn't get the memo? Okay. That's right. Jesus purchased joy for us. David was despised when he came before the Lord with real joy and began to dance, even by his loved ones. Because what? They didn't understand his heart. And those who do not understand who God is won't understand that at all. And so they'll be motivated to kind of crush it, to ignore it, to not encourage it. Okay? So this really, more than anything, it exposes our own heart. So here's the, the core of the problem for the legalist is that there's a misunderstanding of God's love, what it is, what it means. And the result is control, really. There's an inability to just let go and let God. And control is an issue for us, isn't it? I mean, none of us really like to know that we're out of control. But see, and, and you know, in, in life, that is essentially a true you know, proposition that we should never be out of control. But with God, we can fall apart in his backyard. We can release and completely fall into his arms, just as we would want our children to do, right? I mean, when my kids come to me, I want them to fall into my arms. I make sure they do it every day. I want those little boys to understand what a father's love is. And I tell my girls when I swallow them up in my big old arms and I just take them in and they just disappear and I said, you know, this is what I want for you. I want you to be swallowed in a man's love. I want them to understand that. And I want to understand that this is only a template of what they get there, okay? And here, let me just say this, to insert this, even if you didn't get that in life, and if, and if you're just like, well, Pastor David, I never had that from my father. My father died, or my father was, was mean. My father didn't, he just, he, <laughs> he's only a template. He's only a starter man to get you connected to him. And so if we're tempted to look to God that way, then we're robbing ourselves. We're missing who God is. And, and, and God wanted to make it really clear by sending his son. He wanted to show he, the, 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 who he was in bodily form so that when they looked into his eyes, they saw his compassion. When they, when they saw what he did, when John was saying, when are you going to lead us into this religious battle? Jesus says, I'm healing the sick. The blind are seeing. I'm comforting the wounded. So Jesus' face... If you're a person whose relationship, if you've been into that counterfeit, Jesus' face is always going to have a look of dis disappointment upon it. The picture of Jesus in your house is this. Pressed lips, not quite happy with you, and never will quite be happy with you. The second one, the second counterfeit is, goes like this. When I am suffering, I think I'm close to God. When I'm suffering... The legalist doesn't necessarily take it to that level. 
But those who walk in asceticism, which is, if I'm not suffering, there has to be a physical cost in me. This is the result, again, of, of asceticism, which is the result of the need to feel spiritual through suffering and hardship. That spirituality cannot really come into my life unless I'm more than just disappointed, but I'm actually kind of physically hurting. I'm being, I'm being I, you know, I, I, I've got to pay for it through suffering in some form. It is a form of self-punishment or self-rejection. This happens because one's experience with love was confused with abuse or neglect. Okay? And what happens, my friends, is that when, when we're children and we're, we're developing our concept of what love is, when we're developing and our, and our psyche is all coming together, when we've had an improper patterning, you know, it, it, it really does mess up with our heads. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And this is 30 years of counseling talking to you right now. And we've all been there to one degree or another, but there is this sense that I can never earn anyone's love. And if I was mistreated, there becomes this, oper- there becomes this sense of, well, Nobody really loves me, so it, I'd rather have mistreatment than no treatment. Let that hang for a minute. I'd rather have mistreatment than no treatment. I'd rather be abused than ignored. Now, you may look at that, and in your, your, in your walk, your life, you may look at that and say, I, I don't identify with that at all. Um, I know, and I understand, but there are many who do. Also, a person's past sins. You may not have had any abuse at all because you're saying, well, I've never abused Pastor David, so let's just move on from this one. No, no, I got another one for you here. Also, past sins continue to haunt a person, and they're never able to accept the true unconditional forgiveness of Christ. In other words, when you continue to punish yourself for your mistakes. Now, you know, I'm not talking about spilling orange juice in the, in, in, in the living room. I'm talking about getting into a relationship that you know was not good and you suffered. And it comes back to the fact that you made some wrong choices. And yet, you can't get past that. Here's a little test for you. When you're laying in bed at night, and you had a cup of coffee around 4 o'clock, and you're sitting there and your mind is whirling, because the caffeine is still, you know, doing its thing. And you're laying in there in bed, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? And if what comes to your mind is your past, then my friend, I've got some wonderful news for you. Jesus died on the cross to save you. Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins, to heal your past, so that you can get past your past. You can move on. Failure is never fatal for a Christian which is why when people come here and maybe they've been wandering, maybe they walked with the Lord years ago and they come back and they walk in the door and they look in the eye and say, I haven't done this in a long time and I'm not really sure how to move forward as a Christian. I usually just look at them and say, look, I'm welcome. You know, it's a great place to start. This is always, a, every day is a do-over because his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. I'm realizing I, I, I got to keep you happy as I'm, I'm bringing this stuff up, don't I? I, I got to dig it up, and then I got to bless you. I got I to give you some truth before we move on. I, I'm, I'm picking that up. That's okay. 
But a person's past can continue to haunt. A person can be drawn to this kind of relationship with God because they do not feel worthy until they feel they have paid for their sinfulness in one form or another. Okay? It reminds me of that movie. Uh, I think it's Robert Nero, I think, is in the movie. And I, I forgot the title of it. I wasn't, gonna, I wasn't prepared to talk about it. But I remember the movie where he had committed adultery and then he'd killed someone over the, the whole thing. And then his penance was to gather up like hundreds of pounds of, of weighty uh, armor and put it in a, in a big sack, tie it to his back, and he had to crawl up this mountain. And he wasn't going to be forgiven of his sins until he had done that. The truth is when he got to the top and he did all that, he still didn't experience forgiveness. Very powerful. We'll never earn the love of God. We'll never punish ourselves enough. If you're trying to put yourself on that cross, I've got some good news for you. He already did it for you. See, narcissism is result. And what is narcissism? Really, it's a preoccupied, navel-gazing, or continuous pursuit of God's favor without any real understanding of grace. Narcissism is really just so, you become so self-focused. You see, that's what sin will do. And that's what, the, what will happen with the preoccupation of your own failures is because you, and you never really see beyond them so that you can really love people. You see everything in life through your own failure, your own struggles, your own battles. And so love can never really get launched. It can never take off from the launch pad to really grow and express itself through you. We're always battling. You're using the dynamo of our spirit, our soul, and our body to, to, to maintain this sense of duty and ascetic you know, payment to God. It uses up all our resources, so there's just nothing left to really give to anyone else. Jesus wants us to get past that. Those struggling here will spend much time beating the body into submission. You know, Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.8, he said, you know, physical exercise has its merit. And we know even more now. I mean, here's a guy who had no physiology. and He didn't understand. All they knew was just watching people. If they ate well and exercised, they looked a little healthier than that guy over there who doesn't look so healthy. All right? Just by pure observation. Now we know with the science that, yeah, that, I mean, taking care of our, our eating well, exercising moderately is a good thing. They're also finding that stress, they're also finding that the soul, when it is out of rest, does tremendous damage to the body as well. So Paul gets in on that and says, look, physical exercise has its benefit, but godliness has great impact in keeping us, uh, keeping us healthy. So, but we can be drawn to say, look, I'm, I'm going to run hard. I'm going to run the guilt out of myself. I'm going to beat myself. If I can look in front of that mirror and have bigger muscles, bigger, if I can look more beautiful, that will fix my problem. We all know this to be. I mean, we're looking at this, and we could all just say, well, that's ridiculous. We know, but uh, we're still drawn into that counterfeit. We're still drawn to that thing. But it's a lie. And it's a counterfeit for finding true peace. See, the problem is a misunderstanding of God's grace and acceptance. It's slavery, not sonship. 
What does Jesus' face look like to an ascetic person? Angry, rejection filled, and eyes diverted. God can't look at you. Thirdly, third counterfeit. This is what we say. When I have spiritual encounters, I think I'm close to God. When I have spiritual encounters, I think I'm close to God. This is a result of what I call a religious spirit, which comes from a need to force the hand of God to do my will and not to surrender to his. Now follow, this is, this is another critical one. So far, you've, you just say, man, well, I'm not a legalist, not an ascetic person, no, no, no. But this might, might camp home here. And a person who's drawn to religious activity, if people drawn to this are, are very unhappy with the spirit, spiritual conditions of their relationship with God. They lack, a, they lack deep revelations, visions, dreams, and supernatural encounters, or what I would call the goosebump, goosebump moments, and they can cause a deep dissatisfaction if you're not experiencing those things, which then breeds a tendency to manufacture them. Don't, don't miss that point. In other words, to see something that's not there. And so uh, the other two can breed this, but I have found that sometimes, you know, this can come out of, out of a misunderstanding of Jesus too. You could be a fairly healthy person, but you have a, such, such a hunger for God, but the enemy of our souls, he's going to try to bait and switch us. Okay, And he's going to say, look, you can't be spiritual unless you're having some kind of really spiritual moments. And again, a lot of times this comes down to personality. The need for piety and a religious experience once again can trump obedience and a reliance on the grace of God. I've seen this often. When you want to sit down and talk to somebody about, okay, look, can we just talk about what you do every day? No, 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 I want to tell you. I don't want to talk about those things. I want to talk, look, this morning I woke up and the presence of God came down. It filled my house. I noticed that cars were slowing down when they went out and drove past my house. And I'm pretty sure I saw an angel. And when I opened the Bible, I opened straight to a verse that just really impacted. I'm not mocking this, okay? But I'm, I'm, I'm just playing here a little bit. But what happens, so you say, well, that was all good. That was all exciting. I'd love to hear that, but, but how are you and your husband doing? Well, I really don't want to talk about that. I want to talk to you about what I'm seeing in the Spirit. I want to see, tell you about my dreams and revelation. Can you just close that for now? I want to talk to you about how you're doing at work, how you're getting along with people. Well, I don't like people. Okay. I only want to be with God. You know what? If Christianity could just be with me hanging out with God, then everything would be just fine. I gotcha. Then you probably just want to die and go to heaven because that's the only way that's ever going to work out. The truth is, we're going to be here. And to think that a pious spirit or soul and a person, person who is immersed in, in tremendous deep spiritual moments are more spiritual than a person who's obedient to God and is walking in grace, and a settled, you're going to tell me that a person who has visions and dreams and supernatural experiences is more spiritual than a person who's been quietly obedient to God? No way. I'm sorry. 
As I started out saying, Jesus said he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit, visions, dreams, supernatural, and truth. How have you been putting the Sermon on the Mount into play into your life? How is it affecting your marriage? How is it affecting your family relationships? How is it affecting your connection with your boss, with people, the authorities in your life, your, your, the close people to you? And what we find, and what we've all probably seen and experienced, is that somebody can get up there and they can sound spiritual, they can have all the spiritual bells and whistles, but when you dig deep into their soul, into their lives, you see something kind of ugly. And I'm not saying that the ugly is a game, is, is a game ender. Can I just say something straight up? We all have the ugly. <laughs> we just don't like to talk about it. But if you're breathing in and out, you got some ugly. Uh huh. And until you get to heaven, that will not be dealt with. And yet, if we don't understand grace, then we're going to try to deal with the ugly in, our, in an awkward and an inappropriate and an unbiblical way. We will never understand what grace is. Those struggling with a religious spirit awkwardly try to impress others with deep spiritual moments, thus a deep relationship with Jesus, when the truth is that they barely even know Jesus as a friend, much less a savior. Did I bring that one home there? I think I did. Here's the problem. That person has a misunderstanding of what true spirituality is. When people were talking about religion Jesus was talking about feeding the poor. When John was wanting to take the heights of Rome and kill people to take back a physical kingdom, Jesus was healing the blind, the deaf, and casting out demons. Really, it came down to loving people, getting down and dirty. And that's slavery, my friends, not sonship. What does the face of Jesus look like to the religious spirit one? A misunder, uh, I'm sorry, a hidden behind. The face of Jesus is hidden behind a prophetic fog that is rarely seen but revealed to only the most spiritual. I saw the face of Jesus today. Really? I see him every day. It took you all that time to get there? Because I see him when I wake up and say, Lord, I blew it again. I'm mad. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, would you forgive me? Would you wash me and cleanse me? Would you pull out the hose and, and wash me down again? And then I see his face clearly. And I see that face of love for me. And to say, David, done. This is a done deal. Because I love you. I died for you. I'm ready to clean you up again and again. And again. So what's the solution to all this? You know, if you'll spend some time in Romans chapter 8, you're going to see the solution. And I just want to pick a few verses out to help us. And, and to try to fix all this in one sermon, it, it's, it's ridiculously, uh, no way. But I can point you in the direction, and I can pray for us today. But let's get to this solution. Number one, you've got to accept what Christ has done for you freely and without obligation. He's not asking anything of you 
except that he has some good works prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, he, he doesn't have a list. He just said, look, we're going to have a fun time. You came to the, the, the family reunion, and he said, I've got some games planned, and you're in it. Oh, okay, cool. Verses 1 and 2 of Romans 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Three very powerful words to that verse. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. My friends, when we're attracted to those first three things, we're walking in the law of the Spirit of death. It's slavery. We do not understand grace, which is God's love given freely, God's riches, His power given to us the enablement of God, that power that works within us to make us and causes, causes us to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God, all God. But there's no condemnation. In other words, what drives us to those other counterfeits often is condemnation. Very deep-seated, very hidden, very esoteric. I mean, it's, it's there. But it's because we don't understand. We don't find ourselves in Christ. And you say, well, what? how do I do those three words? Man, I'm telling you, folks, this is the simplest thing on the planet. You just step into him and just say, you know what? I bring nothing. I have, I, I, I have nothing to give you. I just am surrendering. And he said, that's all I need. I give myself to you without obligation, without requirement, without control. Pure and simple. So you notice the word I used, accept it accept it that's not really easy for people that like control just to accept right when somebody comes and says you know you 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 got i got a bunch of squirrels in my yard eventually i realized i got to accept it you know i i send a few home back to jesus but but for the most part we have an understanding yeah but folks when it comes to christ yeah, I don't know why I used that example, but, you know, <laughs> out of the mouth of the heart, right, and it speaks. Anyway, so in Christ Jesus, we've got to accept it. Secondly, we've got to think. We've got to think. We've got to use our mind in the appropriate way. Meditation. That's what thinking, spiritual thinking is meditation. To think about God's love, his forgiveness and favor. We've got to find our mind camped on truth, my friends. And less on the things that we know are bringing agitation. And that is something that as a, as a human being, as a believer, you need to become more self-aware of what's going on inside you and why it is happening. So when you've got agitation, we all know what, you know what I'm talking about with agitation? Stress. You come home from work, you're not, you know, you're just out of rest. You don't know why. But if you'll take some time, just even just a few seconds to say, why am I out of rest right now? My son struck out. Uh, I just got a bill. Somebody cut me off in traffic. I just read a Facebook post that I didn't like at all. You feel like you've just been upended, and yet what a lot of times we don't take time to just deal with that right away and just say, okay, mm -mm, no, not going to steal my peace. I'm now going to, I'm going to focus my mind. So look at, look at uh, verses 5 through 8. I'm going to read this out of Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh. And we all understand what that is. But notice how it, we get there. 
have their minds set on or focused on what the flesh desires. Now, we're not just talking about lust and anger and bitterness and greed. We're talking about frustration. We're talking about control. We're talking about self-loathing. Talking about that too. What the flesh desires. And see, and that's what he's talking about too. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And what is that? God's will for my life. And so I spend more time. You, you got to get this. If you don't get this, I'm going to sit down. But here we go. You've got to spend more time thinking about what God, what God thinks about you, what God has prepared for you, than what you do not have and what is going, in, going on inside you and that which is broken. Here's the deal. That's not going to be fixed here. Not completely. And if you think and you're on this pursuit of trying to become this holy, spiritual, deep-seated fully fixed individual that you call holy and righteous and pure, I'm sorry you're not going to get it here. Just not. And even if you are on that way, even if that were possible, you're never going to get it on that track. Over here, what Paul is trying to point out, and this is what he learned, if you read in Romans chapter 7, is he learned, the more I focus on trying to better myself, the farther it gets away from me. The more I focus on what Jesus did for me, the more I forget about who I was. Are you getting that? It has nothing to do with any kind of desire to fix or discipline whatsoever of self-punishment or trying to prove myself to God. It's more of just when the more I fall into his arms, there's, there's really some practicality to this. I find myself not hanging out in the places where this is more often going to happen. I find myself not camping in my mind where most of this crud is formed because I have my mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind, let's keep going, the mind governed by the flesh is death. Yep, slavery, death. Self-improvement. I wrote that in there. Those, those are mine. The mind governed by the, the thought of self-improvement is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Whew. That's good right there. Notice he didn't use any other word like the, the mind governed by the Spirit is a religious person, is a disciplined person, is a perfect person. No, no. It's right to the fruit. Life and peace. And my friends, isn't that what we all want? Life. Peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. In other words, God, it's like my kid walking into my office, walking to my study, coming up to me and just saying, Dad, I'm going to show you that that I love you today. I'm going to show you. Son, this is totally unnecessary. But I'm, I'm going to show you all day. And matter of fact, I'm going to beat on myself until you love me. Son, what are you doing? Now it becomes, I get a little hostile. Stop it. Stop it now. You following me? You see the emotion behind this? That's what's going on. 
It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. He's saying, look, can I just, you're never going to be able to fix it over here. You're never going to be able to uh, fix your problem on the inside by trying to submit to the law. No way. And that's what the flesh is. That is what trying to earn God. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Never be able to do it. When you're walking in a religious spirit, when you're walking in an ascetic spirit, when you're walking in a legalistic spirit, you'll never be able to please the Father. Why is it hostile? Because it refuses to believe what Jesus did. Can you imagine how that ticks off God? When he's sitting there going, let me get this straight. You're trying to earn my favor after I sent my only begotten son to die for every single sin that you will commit, ever could commit. I sent my son to be able to stand in your stead and intercede before, they, before me forever on your, on your behalf, and yet you still want to sit in the pig poop? Is that what you're telling me? That's the heart of God. Finally, receive your adoption without complaint, condition, or complication. Yes, we've been grafted in. We're Gentiles. We've been adopted. But look what verse 15 says. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Yes, we can, you don't know Christ, you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received, the Holy Spirit, brought about your adoption to sonship, daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. I love that. We, don't, we, we just see Abba. What is Abba? I mean, it's Daddy. It's whatever your term of endearment is to the person you love the most. That we look at him and say, we've been adopted, but now we don't have to say, we don't have to bring up our adoption every time. We don't have to say, hey, are, are you sure? Is the ink dry on that document? Have you erased it yet? Have you lost your document showing that I'm your son? Have I done anything that would cause you to want to tear it up? No, no, no. When we understand this, when we understand the gospel, we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross, when we understand the, 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 the fullness of his love and the, the impact and the completion of his forgiveness, we'll never ask that question again. We'll just fall into his arms. Daddy, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you'll never give up on me. Thank you that your forgiveness is real and you'll throw my sins as far as the east is from the west. It really breaks my heart to see people slaving away to try to earn it, and which is what drove me to share this today. Truly, relationship, when we're talking about a real relationship with Jesus Christ, grows out of pure surrender to Jesus and the Holy Spirit who will patiently work God's purposes by our cooperation in surrender in faith, in grace, in time. And that's the biggest one, which is why I capitalize it in your notes. Time. It's going to take you all your life to figure this out.
And the sad part is, as we get older and kind of lose our mind a little bit, even then, God's grace takes up that. As I've looked into the eyes of people that have gotten a little dementia, I remember the days when they used to teach the Bible with passion and look at them and say, do you remember what you used to teach and preach? Do you remember what, what, what is in you and I know is in you? And they look at you with a little bit of a glassy eye. And, no. And that's what I know, that they're just in the arms of Jesus. Do they have to earn it anymore? Do they have to even remember it? My last things to give you. Excellence, yes. Graceless perfection, no. Repentance, yes. Heartfelt change. Unending penance, no. Spiritual discipline, yes. Read your Bible. Pray. Come to church. Do the spiritual things which will create spiritual moments which will make you more spiritual. Yes. Physical punishment? No. Kingdom first? Yes. Kingdom only? No. With this understanding, my friends, let the intimacy begin. Okay? Let it begin. You'll notice what it does is it just evens the ground. It just puts us in a place where we have nothing. And you know what? That's the reality. <laughs> you got nothing, my friends. That became more clear to me with a man who was, uh, I'm going to get the information, but he was a very famous athlete. Turned the hearts of many people. Big in life. He got cancer. Two years before he shared, I mean, two years later from the moment he shared this, he died from the cancer that he had. But he got up in front of everyone and he said this. You don't know how much you need Jesus until he's all you got. But that made me stop and think, why am I waiting for that? Why would I ever wait for that when I have such tremendous truth staring me in the face every single day? And that's what I want for you. Amen. Let's stand up this morning.